as they leave the junior church, head up to the fellowship hall. They're working on a Palm Sunday program, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. We're going to go there here momentarily. Uh, you can go in your Bibles in a pew Bible or a Bible that brought with, you brought with you, or uh, a Bible on your tablet or devices, if you prefer. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 in the pew Bible is on page 961. Actually, yeah, 961, top of the page, left side column. I was listening on Friday to Breakpoint this week with uh, John Stone Street and through the Colson Center, and they referenced how certain areas, certain countries, they provide uh, gifts even, I think it was even in our country, certain state, a gift, a graduation gift from college or high school was plastic surgery and things of that sort, you know, to make us look different. And it's a reminder of how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about our looks. And do we earn our love? Do we get love based off the way we look or our knowledge? Do we earn humanity? Do we... Are, you know, do we feel like we have to alter our appearance like that? And it's a reminder also of a country music song by Randy Travis called Forever and Ever Amen. I don't listen to country music anymore, but I did when this song came out. And you may know the song. You may think that I'm talking foolish. You've heard that I'm wild and I'm free. You may wonder how I can promise you now this love that I feel for you always will be. But you're not just time that I'm killing. I'm no longer one of those guys. As sure as I live, this love that I give is gonna be yours until the day that I die. I'm gonna love you forever, forever and ever, amen. As long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old men. If you wonder how long I'll be faithful, I'll be happy to tell you again, I'm gonna love you forever and ever, forever and ever, amen. They say time can play tricks on a memory, make people forget things they knew. Well, it's easy to see it's happening to me. I've already forget, forgotten every woman but you. And it goes on with that chorus. I'm gonna love you forever. Do we feel like we need to earn love, earn the love from somebody else? Or if something happens or as we age, we lose that love. And do we feel the same way about God's love for us? We feel the same way that we need to earn God's love for us and we could even lose God's love for us. David Jeremiah shares his story in the days when the great evangelist D.L. Moody was preaching in Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. A poor drunkard stumbled up the steps to the front door of Moody's church. The man pushed the door open, scanned the room and saw no one inside. His eyes, however, were drawn to a, a large sign hanging above the pulpit that read, God is love. God is love. It struck him with anger. He slammed the door and staggered down the steps, muttering, God is not love. If God was love, he would love me. And he, and, and he doesn't love a miserable man like me. It isn't true. He, wanna, he went on his way, but those words were burning inside him. God is love. God is love. God is love. He couldn't, he couldn't resist. Was it true? Is it possible? After a while, he turned around 
retraced his steps and entered the church again, confused and desperate. By now, the people had gathered, and as D.L. Moody began to preach, the man, the man slipped into a seat in the back corner. D.L. Moody is giving the sermon, the message. The man slips into the seat in the back corner. He wept during the entire sermon as anger and confusion began to give way to joy and hope. Anger and confusion. God is not love. How could he love me? But that anger and confusion gave way to joy and to hope. Afterward, Moody made his way to the door and was shaking hands with people as they left. But the man didn't leave. He remained in his seat, weeping. Moody came over, sat down beside him, and asked, What are you crying about, my friend? What was it in the sermon that touched your heart? Oh, Mr. Moody, I didn't didn't hear a word that you spoke tonight. We love to hear that, by the way. Um, The man responded, It's those words that were over your pulpit. God is love that broke my heart. Moody sat down and explained to him the depths of God's love. The man listened and gave his heart to God, understanding for the first time that God really did love him. Today we begin a short sermon series titled, God Loves You, and my theme today is God is Love. And if you've turned to 1 John 4, 7 through 10, I want to read those verses, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. That is what this passage says. The theme of the passage, God is love. If you look at verse 7, from the beginning of this passage, John writes that we are to love one another. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. We are to love one another. Why are we to love one another? Why? John tells us. We are to love one another because love comes from God. Love comes from God. One of the arguments, actually, for the existence of God is moral values, love, goodness, right and wrong, right? Isn't that amazing? Where do we get, where do we get the ability to think of right and wrong? How do we know the ability of right and wrong? How do we get that idea? And if there's no God, how would we even understand the ability of right and wrong? Isn't that amazing? Even animals, to some degree, have this understanding of love and what is love. And humans most always have an understanding of right and wrong and of love and what is love. How do we get that ability? God not only gave us the ability to love, he crafted us with a need for love. We desire and need love. A child needs the love of his mother. A wife needs the love of her husband. So we see in this passage that God is love. 
Now, I need to park here for a short moment. God is love, but this cannot be reversed. God is love, not love is God. It would sound nice, but it's not true. Love is not God. But God is love and that love is one of many of the attributes which define who God is. Dr. Tim Tennant, president of Asbury Theological Seminary, shares, who is God? God is a personal being, infinite in love, but also knowledge and power. He is perfect in wisdom, goodness, righteousness, justice, holiness, and truth. God is both the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the final goal and judge of the universe, infinite and perfect in all his attributes. And love is one of the many attributes of God, and they're all balanced together. God is love, but love is not God. Pastor Bobby Murphy wrote, I believe this was from his book, 2020 Vision. God is love does not equate him with love. It identifies love as an attribute of his. God's love is not separated from his other characteristics. God is also just, etc. So God is love. In the past, he says that everyone who, has, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's what the passage 1 John 4, 7 says. Does that mean that everyone who does an act of love is of God? Does everyone who does something nice get a free pass to heaven? No. The key point in this passage is that it says that everyone who loves has been born of God. This passage is talking about a rebirth in Jesus Christ. God is love and love proceeds from the Father. So God gives us the ability to love. And because of that, when we are reborn from God, this is written to Christians. This is written to Christians. When we are reborn from God, we have a spiritual rebirth from God. When we have that spiritual regeneration, that spiritual power of the Holy Spirit within us, God gives us the ability to love. In a different way, in a different way. Our love shows that we know God. Jesus said in John 13, 35, they will know you are Christians because of your love. Later in verse 16, I didn't read that verse yet, but later John reiterates this message, 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know, this is what it reads. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides, which, remain, which means remains, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If we know God, love abides in us, should abide in us. Again, David Jeremiah shares, in the Bible, the love of God is like a, I love this illustration. The love of God is like a multifaceted diamond. Each glistening facet reveals some blindingly beautiful truth about God. For this is where the quest for love leads, to an encounter with God himself. The quest for love leads to an encounter with God himself. To begin to understand love, we must begin to understand God. And to begin to understand God, we must begin in no other place than the revelation of his love in the Bible. And the revelation of his love is in the Bible and especially manifested in Jesus, our Savior. We are called to copy this love of God. We are called to emulate this, this, this love of God. God is love. It's one of his many divine attributes. And we know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We are called to emulate that love. We are called to to be light. And and part of that is love. I heard that Alexander the Great had a soldier. And the soldier of Alexander Great's, the soldier bore his name, who was unfaithful 
in duty and demonstrated cowardice. It's a soldier of Alexander Great, Alexander the Great. He bore the name of Alexander the Great and being one of his soldiers. But this soldier was cowardly and was unfaithful to the leader. And Alexander the Great called him in and said, either change your behavior or change your name. Either change your behavior or change your name. Because he bore the name of Alexander the Great as well. And one pastor writes, and I think that in a sense is what John is saying here. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to say you are God's and you belong to God and you truly are his, then conduct yourself as he would. Conduct yourself in love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, what does it say in verse 8? Look back at the text. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In other words, love is a defining mark of showing that you are a Christian, showing that you belong to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. John repeats that God is love right after saying that the one who does not love does not know God. And that sounds pretty critical, that if we claim to know God, we ought to be love. In verse 9, it reminds me of John three sixteen, verse 9. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love manifests, sending Jesus, our Savior, into the world. God desires a relationship with us. And that is why God took, act, took action. Jesus is God's one and only son, or better translated, unique son. God sent him into the world in order to show his great love for us. Verse 10 shows us that God initiated this relationship with us. God initiated this relationship with us. Look at verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he took the wrath of God in our place. He took care of that division between us and God. God initiated, in love, God initiated the relationship with us. God did this. We could not do it on our own. God initiated the relationship with us in his great love by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. God's love for us is unending. I like this illustration. When the Bible tells us that God's love is unlimited, I think it means God's love is something like the love of the mother in this story told by Michael Brown. A friend told me about a boy who was the apple of his parents' eyes. Tragically, in his mid-teens, the boy's life went, went, went awry. He dropped out of school and began associating with the worst kind of crowds. One night, he staggered into his house at 3 o'clock a.m., completely drunk. His mother slipped out of bed and left her room. The father followed, assuming that his wife was in the kitchen, perhaps crying. Instead, he found the mother at her son's bedside, softly stroking his matted hair as he lay passed out drunk on the covers. What are you doing, the father asked. And the mother simply answered, he won't let me love him when he's awake. The love of a mother showing the love of God the Father, God's unending love for us like that love of the mother in that illustration. That even when we're going awry, even when we're going away from God still loves us and desires a relationship with us. God is love and he wants a relationship with us. What does that mean for us? Contemplative author and speaker Brennan Manning calls this concept love without motive. 
He writes, as a man, I love the Jersey Shore. Handles Messiah, Hot Fudge, and my wife, Rosalind. I love what I find congenial or appealing. I love someone for what I find in him or her. But God is not like that. The God and Father of Jesus loves men and women not for what he finds in them, but for what he finds in them of himself. It's not because men and women are good that he loves them, nor only, nor only good men and women that he loves. It's because he is so unspeakably, unimaginably good that he loves men and women in their sin. I love that. It is not that he detects what is congenial and appealing and he responds to us with his favor. No, he is a source of love. He acts. He does not react. God is love without motive. He's not loving us because of what he can get out of us. God does not need anything. He is perfect in every single way. God is love and all true love comes from God and he loves us. Some application questions. We must love people as well, right? If we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have the Holy Spirit upon us. We must love people as well. In loving people, this will show that the love of God is in us. Is the love of God in you? Show it. Do you claim to know Christ? Show it. If we are born of God, as in reborn, that means that we must love others. If we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we've experienced his spiritual being born again, we show it by loving others. This must shape our emotions and loving people in our thoughts. This must shape our intelligence in that we understand that we love because God created us in his image and God is love, but also knowing that God has rebirthed us in his spirit and we are to imitate God. Ephesians 5, 1 says, imitate God. Interesting. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about the great theology of salvation. It's all about how awesome our salvation is. We find Ephesians 2, 8, 9, received by grace through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. It's all about the awesome, awesome, awesome grace of God. And then in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, it changes to our behavior. Because of God's great salvation bestowed upon us, it changes our behavior. That's why we have Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In the very, first, very next verse, imitate God. God is love. We're called to emulate that. We're called to, we're called to emulate that. Imitate God. This shapes our actions, that our actions are loving others as God is loved. We must think thoughts that love others. You know, we can often clean up our actions, but do we focus on our thoughts and even rebuke and reprove any unloving thought and say, God, take away that thought because our actions stem from our thoughts. We park on unloving thoughts, we're gonna end up in in unloving actions. We must think biblical thoughts. See Philippians 4, 4 through 13. We must seek God's kingdom. See Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter six and seven. We must love others. And guess what? That compels us to evangelism. If we say we love our family and friends, 
but we never pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them, we may not love them as much as we think we do. I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying beat them over the head. I'm not saying keep pushing and pushing and pushing. No, start with prayer. Say, God, open doors so that I can share the gospel. And then look for opportunities to share the gospel. Maybe even say, let's go out for coffee sometime and say, I wanna talk to you something about something that is so important to me. Hopefully it is important. First Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. It's a great passage for apologetics, which means defenses of the faith. And oftentimes we focus on always be ready to give an answer, but we miss two things. The hope that is within you. Is Jesus our hope? And then we also miss with gentleness and respect. Because I've known Christians that end up arguing about the gospel until they're mad and red in the face and using very bad language, and that's not a good witness. It's not a good witness to cuss somebody out for the gospel. Just in case you didn't know, that's not a good witness, okay? If it gets to that point, you need to drop, drop the subject and go back to huddle up with God and pray and pray that God works on your heart so that you can remember, as Jesus said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. It's a bad witness. But it's also a bad witness not to share our faith with others. If we really love others, it compels us to evangelism. Guess what, by the way? That seems redundant. Guess what? It also shows that we love Jesus when we share the gospel. Matthew 20, 19 through 20. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus desires a relationship with other people just like he wants a relationship with you and with me. And it shows our love for him when we share the gospel with others. David Jeremiah shares, this is the most important fact in your life. God loves you. The eternal self-existent being who created and sustains everything that exists dearly loves you. The profound thought of God's love should begin and end your every day. You ever think about that? Psalm 90 verse 14, satisfy me in the morning with your loyal love. If you think about putting that somewhere every day, so when you get up in the morning, satisfy me in the morning with your loyal love. I mean, think about it. I began this sermon talking about this plastic surgery craze that's even in the United States and in other countries. It's, we don't need to do these things to earn God's love. And you ought not have to do those things to earn other people's love either. God loves you the way you are. Remember that. David Jeremiah continues, the profound thought of God's love should begin and end your every day. It should define your every goal, your every action. And he doesn't merely like you when you do well. He is personally and passionately committed to your good. Even when you fail, God loves you. What would happen if that three-word sentence became the theme of your life? If you let it change everything about you and your world? God loves you. The implications of God's love are astounding. We are fully and completely loved by God, despite our unworthiness of that love. It's not that we earn it. It's by his grace and by his mercy, God loves us. This perfect love cast out the real fear of being rejected by God on the basis of our failures, whether past, present, or future. If God has loved us so generously and sacrificially, 
The only legitimate response is to love our neighbors. We can't simply choose to love good people or people with whom we agree. We can't reserve love for those willing to repay it. If we are to love like God, we have to be willing to be wounded. In her autobiography, Over Mountain or Plain or Sea, Trula Kroc, who served as a missionary in India for 24 years, tells of a little girl who visited her house one evening and stayed just a little longer than she intended. Darkness fell, and she was afraid to walk home. Trula explained that she should not be afraid. Trula explained to the little girl that she should not be afraid. She said, Dulan, that's the little girl's name, God loves you and he will take care of you as you would walk to your house. The little girl replied very solemnly, No, Mimsahab, God does not love little girls. Trula Kronk, the missionary, was never able to forget that misguided statement. And it made her want to tell all little girls everywhere that God is love and he does indeed love them. And God loves in each and every one of us. This begins a sermon series. Next Sunday, I'm going to focus on God loved you before you were born. God loved you before you were born. I encourage you this day, this week, remember God's great love for you and take that reminder and in honor and remembrance of God's great love for you. And certainly because if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit's within you, think of extra ways you can show love to other people in extra ways you can show grace to other people. It doesn't matter if they deserve it. Grace is undeserved favor. Doesn't matter. Love other people and be encouraged. God loves you. It doesn't matter what other people think about you, right? God is a big, people are small. It's not the other way around. And God loves you. That's the greatest, most important thing to remember. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great opportunity to declare your word to your people. And Lord God, I thank you for this wonderful, awesome, amazing passage, of course, uh, from your word, as all the passages from your word are amazing. But telling us to love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Writing to Christians about your great love. Help us, Lord God, because we really cannot love except by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Certainly, without Christ, we can still love in certain cases, but it may not be love without motive. By the Holy Spirit within us, you give us that ability to have love without motivation. As you, Lord God, have love without motivation, you love us regardless of whether we are obedient to you. You love us unmerited. You love us. You give us your grace so that you sent Jesus our Savior to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. And Lord God, as I always say, if there's anyone here gathered who does not know you as Lord and Savior, maybe they've strayed from you. May today be the day to repent and turn to you, to confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as the one and only Savior, trust in you and commit to you. Lord God, we cannot commit to you. We cannot live for you except by the Holy Spirit within us. So this week, 
I pray that you would guide and help and support this congregation living for you. Fill us with the spirit in abundant, amazing ways. Encourage us, reminding us of your great love for us and empowering us to live the Christian life. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.